We turn in God's Word tonight to John chapter 14. For those of you who are expecting a children's illustration involving a Katie did, Katie is done. Uh, Learned that when Katie dids dry up, they crumble. And uh, they literally fall apart. So uh, maybe we shall find a live specimen in the next uh, few days. As uh, Mr. Hovinga came up with a beautiful illustration uh, as to how this uh, creature uh, certainly has a lesson for us as God's people. John chapter 14. We'll be reading the first 14 verses tonight. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Thus far, the reading of God's breathed out word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, what a beautiful picture we have again of Christ's work as our mediator. Father, we look at the situation from our perspective, and as sinful human beings, there is no way that we can approach a holy God, and yet you have provided Christ. Father, for this we give you eternal thanks. Father, we pray that you would be with us tonight as the word is proclaimed, that, Father, that you would calm our hearts and minds, Father, that your spirit would work mightily in our hearts, Father, what is preached tonight would be applied to our lives and that we would live ever more transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. All this we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. That was a long article, wasn't it? Out of the Belgic Confession that we stood and confessed and have stood with our fellow Reformed believers over the course of time and history, beginning with Guido de Bray and his congregation there in the lowlands long article if you go back and 
and think about last Lord's Day, the, the article was so short, we didn't even turn it into a responsive reading. It was short, it was but a couple of sentences dealing with the ceremonial law. One has to ask themselves then the question, why was it of such a necessity to spend so much time explaining and carrying out this article dealing with Jesus as our mediator. Well, once again, it's out of the historical context where Debray and the congregation there felt a need to give a lengthier explanation of what is going on. Obviously, I think, and we'll deal with that as we go through the sermon, obviously we understand this statement stands in direct opposition to that which was taking place within the Roman Catholic Church of the day and still takes place today. What may not be so clear to us is the necessity of spelling this out because of the Anabaptists that were being dealt with there in Europe as well. See, the Anabaptist movement had, in a sense, grown beyond Christ. It was in the spirit age, and everything was of the spirit. They were being led by the spirit, guided by the spirit. And, and everything was about the spirit, uh, and not in the sense biblically as we understand that, but in the sense of moving beyond. Sort of like there was the day and age of God the Father. Well, that's Old Testament stuff. That's gone. There was the day and age of the Gospels in the, the New Testament. Well, that's the age of Christ that has gone on. Now we're in the age of the Spirit. And so Christ had become sort of a, a secondary part of it, which is often the same thing you find in many Pentecostal churches even of today. That Christ is not so much emphasized as much as the Spirit, and he is Jesus is, is sort of almost a byword. In fact, unless you're baptized by the Spirit, you can't be saved. Apart, you see, almost as it were, from the work of Christ upon the cross. Well, that is what the Bray and the, the Reformed believers of 1500s are dealing with as well. But there is another not-so-obvious threat that also needed to be dealt with that is beginning to make its invasion up through the Middle East. Indeed, by the, I believe it's the date of 1688, they are going to be knocking on the very doors of Vienna, Austria. They had dealt with this invasion force back in the 1200s at the Battle of Tours and Charles Martel, the hammer, puts an end to the Muslim invasion at that time. But they're coming again. And, and don't think that, that these reformed writers, uh, especially as you read, for example, Luther and Calvin, they are very well aware of the Muslim threat. They are very well aware of this horde that is coming in to seemingly sweep over Europe that is going to toss out prayer through Jesus Christ. And that the only acceptable prayer will be to Allah void of any Christ. So with those three historical markers that they're living in the context of, of course they spent a great deal of time 
dealing with this. So this evening, we'll deal with it, praying in Jesus' name under three headings. First of all, the necessity of Jesus' name. Secondly, the basis of using Jesus' name. And then thirdly, the promise of using Jesus' name. All of which we basically find in those words of verses 13 and 14 of John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus himself is the one who gives us the instruction. That we are to pray in his name. That's what he's saying. He said it previously in John chapter 14 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can approach the Father but through me. No one can approach the Father in any way, shape, or form. When you pray, you can't approach the Father. As our brother Doug reminded us a few moments ago. We, we're, we're sinful creatures. We can't approach him. Except in Jesus' name. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus states this again if you turn forward just a couple of chapters to John chapter 16. Verses 23 and 24. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is here stating very clearly to us that unless... We ask in his name, unless we approach the Father in his name, there is no access. There is no approach. There is no prayer. The only legitimate prayer is the prayer in Jesus' name. All the rest is just talk. But it's not prayer. Unless it is in Jesus' name. That is his instruction. No exceptions. No exceptions to this. No other mediator. No other priest. No other saints. You cannot approach the Father through St. Michael, the archangel. You cannot approach the Father through St. Francis, of Assisi. You cannot approach the Father through St. Patrick, through St. Christopher, through St. Jude, or any of the other 10,000 saints in the Roman Catholic Church that are prayed to. You cannot approach the Father. If you go to the Catholic Catechism and, and Catholic information and, and ask the question, why do you do this? Here is the answer. And listen to the answer. Because Paul says and encourages others to pray for him. And Paul encourages Christians to pray for one another. Now if you just stop and pause and ask yourself, what's the problem with that thinking? It's one word, isn't it? 
there is a huge difference of praying for someone than praying to someone. Paul never says to people, hey, pray to me that I might pray to the Father over the problems you're dealing with. Paul never says, I pray to you, Colossians, that you might intercede for me. But you see, this was the Catholic Church of Debray's day. It's the Catholic Church of our day. They're still doing it. They're still violating this rule and this principle. The Anabaptists of today are still violating this rule and principle. The Muslims of this day are still violating this rule and this principle. God cannot be approached apart from Jesus Christ. No exceptions. Now why is that? Why is approaching God, why is approaching the Father in Jesus' name so important? Why is that a necessity? Why can't I just pray to the Father? Why can't I have another intercessor? Well, as Debray put it so eloquently, why would you want somebody of a lesser caliber than Jesus Christ? When you have the best of the best, when you have the perfect of the perfect, why would you settle for less? Who is arrayed with the glory of Jesus Christ? Who is as close to the Father as Jesus Christ? None. None. But let me take you down through four things. First of all, because not only does Jesus testify to it, but the Word testifies to the fact that there is but one mediator. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And notice the context. First of all then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So what is the context? The context is prayer. This is a good thing to pray for our leaders, people in high positions. Good thing. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There is but one. See, it, it's not that they, just Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray you ought to come to, through me in my name. This is not just a good suggestion. This is not just Jesus saying, hey, the quickest route to the Father is through me. Now, there might be other routes, but I'm the quickest. 
Paul, in writing to Timothy in regards to prayer, is saying there is but one mediator. There are no others. There are no other advocates. There is no other way to him. Only through Jesus. Which means then, only believing Christians can pray. So it's pretty useless to me, okay, for those who, who write those obituaries to say things like, you know, we ask for your prayers for so-and-so. Person's not a Christian. They're not Christians. What's the point of praying? Because unless you know the mediator, there is no way to the Father. Second point, as far as the basis. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at a number of passages here, so get your fingers ready to go. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, who would that be? Who is the advocate? When I sin, who should I be going to? Well, let's see. Maybe I ought to go to uh, a booth in a Catholic church and confess my sins to a priest who can be the advocate to the Father on my behalf. That, that's what's there, right? That's what John told us to do. Or John said, well, if you sin, you have an advocate. It's me. I'm, I'm going to be St. John someday, and they're going to make me a saint. So, so pray to me, and I'll go to the Father in regards to your sin. Or certainly John, who took care of Mary, certainly would have said, the biggest advocate you could have if you sin." Is Mary the mother of Jesus? Go to her. No. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a mediator. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He, and here we have this big word three times in one service. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, why is he the propitiation? Because he is the righteous one. What does that mean? It means he is perfect. Why is Jesus Christ our advocate? Why do we want to come to the Father through Jesus Christ? Because he and he alone is perfect. He and he alone is sinless. Everyone else who may be prayed through or spoken to is a sinner. The only sinless one is Christ. That's why he is the one true mediator to whom we come 
to the Father. Third, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. You're going to find verses 24 and 25. I'll go back to 23. We'll start at 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now let me ask you a question. Is St. Christopher dead or alive? Well, we'd say... Maybe in his soul, maybe, alive. But certainly his body is dead. As well as any other saint you can name. Their body is dead. Why would you go to have an advocate, a mediator, to someone who if they are in heaven are only there with their soul? Whereas most of the problems and infirmities that we have in life are in our body. Would we not want to bring our prayers to the one who has body and soul in heaven? The one who lives eternally. The one who has risen victorious from the grave. amazing thing this is to reflect upon is the fact that we have an advocate right now before the Father not just in soul, however we conceive of that and think of that and in this side of the grave and this side of glory but we can be assured because of his ascension That we are represented before the Father, body and soul. This is why he is the only mediator. And there is no other. But there's one more thing to add here. John chapter 15 verse 10. I'm going to look at four passages very quickly. I'm going to read them. And then we'll comment on them. So if you, you don't want to follow along, at least just jot them down. John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
abide in my love. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Or we could go to Ephesians chapter 3. Starting at 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. St. Jude has no clue who I am. He doesn't even know I exist. St. Patrick has no clue who I am nor any of the other 10,000 saints. But Jesus Christ not only knows me, he loves me. He loves me so much that he died for me. Why would we exchange this glorious privilege of being able to come to the Father through our advocate, through our mediator, Jesus Christ, who loves us, and exchange it for a dead person who knows us not. Now, I know, at least I hope I can say this, I know that none of you here are praying to saints. But you know those who do. You need to know this. You need to know this in order that you might engage them in conversation. Don't be swept away by that which the church has taught them for years and years and years, which is not based upon scripture, but is based upon church tradition. Bring them to the word. Show them the truth. To that Muslim family that has moved into your community or moved into your school or with whom you work and labor, you need to evangelize them. We admire their devotion getting out that prayer rug five times a day, no matter where they are. 
the Church of Jesus Christ had that kind of devotion, can you imagine what, what we would be like? But it's devotion that's dead wrong. God is hearing not one of those prayers. And even though many of the liberal churches in the United States would say, oh, they're just, they're, they're just using a different means by getting to the Father. You already know the lie of that, don't you? Because there is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. See, this message is not so much because, oh, we have a problem with this. This message is to secure in us the knowledge we need for the world in which we live. I don't think Debray was worried about his congregation praying to saints. But he was wanting to give them the ammunition they needed from the word of God, the sword of the spirit to go into the world in which they would encounter those and would have to give a defense as to why they prayed not to saints, why they kept none of those holy saint days. With a sword or a flame burning, awaiting them. And this is what we must prepare our children for. We must seek, we must seek what is happening in the world around us. And we must be careful about who we are allowing to influence our children into thinking there are other ways to God other than through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because, my friends, there is a tremendous promise here, isn't there? There's a tremendous promise. All that you ask in my name, I will give. But I must caution you, that's not some magic formula. When Jesus says here that whatever you ask in my name, that will I grant. It's not like, oh, so if I include it all at the end of my prayers in Jesus' name, then I get everything I ask for. Now, that very statement is a betrayal of what Jesus means. It's not the use of those three words as some sort of magical incantation. Then we're no better than Holy Mary, Mother of God, blessed art thou amongst women. If all we're doing is throwing in three words to think that this is the reason through which we are heard because we use three words, we've missed Jesus' point. For those of us who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. For those of us who are his sheep, who hear his voice. We are to pray in the righteousness of Christ. It's interesting when you look this phrase up and, and find how some take this to mean, oh, we have to pray in Jesus' authority. Yes, that's there. But it's not as if somehow using in Jesus' name means that now we can just cast out demons because we use the three words. No. 
it means in his righteousness. See, and this is what the Reformed faith has captured. This is, this is where we glow. That it is because of the righteousness of Christ. See, Debray warned of the fact that of the fact that, that we might shy away from prayer because of how holy and majestic God is and the sinner that we are. We might flee from prayer. But that is not where we want to go either. We are to come to the Father, but we come to the Father in the righteousness of Christ. And in that righteousness of Christ, we can pray in the authority of Jesus. But you see, that's not using three words. That's faith. That's a mindset of faith, of understanding. That the reason I approach the Father is because of Christ. That the reason the Father is going to hear is because of Christ. That the reason that which is going to be granted is because of Christ. It's not because of me. It's not because of my worthiness. It's not because of my want. It's not because of my prayer. It's because of Christ. So when you read those verses 13 and 14, notice that the word glorified comes up. See, when we as God's people pray, understanding the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us by grace through faith, when we pray, understanding that we pray for the glory of Christ, that's what we desire more than anything else. We do not desire to be healed from any disease. We do not desire a surgery to go, go well. If it glorifies not Christ, if all we want is some peace, and if it isn't to glorify Christ, there will be no peace. See, we often look at prayer as being, give me, give me, give me, I need, I need, I need. I want to avoid, I want to avoid, I want to avoid. I want things to go well, I want things to go well. It's all I. Jesus says very clearly in 13 and 14, it is about being glorified. It is about the Son being glorified. It is about the Father being glorified. When we pray, understanding that we are to pray in the name of Jesus, in His righteousness, for His glory, all, all, no exception there. All shall be given. What a glorious promise this gives us. With this, we can die. With this, we can live. As one Leads our case before the Father in body and soul. A righteous, loving mediator who lives forever. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for the deep, deep love 
of Jesus Christ for us. In his name, God's people say, 500